Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So today I was walking around Dublin City and I saw five Iron Maiden t-shirts. I was on my way into Sentinel Records at the heart in the centre of Dublin, just in Temple Bar Square, to deliver some vinyls to the esteemed patron, Mr. Taub. Um, If you're in Dublin, you should go and check out that record store. I was thinking to myself how great it would be to be able to do a podcast about which, which finally is the greatest Iron Maiden album. Um, But alas and alack, that was not to be. I had another podcast in the chamber, so to speak, ready to go. That'll have to wait a week. As I thought to myself, a couple of things happened in Irish politics and perhaps in politics in countries also near you that it would be remiss and I think cowardly of me not to mention on some level. Um, So that's what today's Agitators Anonymous is going to be. Because in Ireland, we are in the process of passing a new hate speech legislation bill. Now, you've heard me talk about things like that before on the podcast. Um, And also, I think similar things are happening in Canada, in Brazil, we've seen it in Scotland, and I imagine very soon it's coming to a country near you or a variation on the theme. So while we still can, before I'm sent to a gulag in the Midlands, um, although some would say that the Midlands kind of feels a bit like a gulag anyway, um, let's discuss it. Let's try and discuss it. And the first thing I would say before we start to discuss this bill, or I start to ramble and, and monologue about it, is this. Is that go and read the bill for yourself. Go and actually look it up on the government website or go and look it up online. Don't take on the side of some, you know, we're living in a polarised society where the loudest voices on either side get the most column inches the most space the most noise they take up the most um they suck the air out of the room and that's because those are the voices that get the most clicks social media rewards um it rewards the outliers and the fact is that most people in civil society 
are not like that. They're just decent people who just want to get along and do what they can in their lives. Um, and here on Agitators Anonymous, I've always said it, that I'm, in my opinion, politically homeless. So my analysation, my discussion, my look at this bill um, isn't from any side of the fence. I think it's from sitting on the fence, which gives me a view of both sides of it. So if you're going to take in the information about this bill, from, as I said, uh, a YouTuber or uh, someone who has an extreme position to begin with or, you know, is captive or captured to their audience in that they know exactly who they're speaking to. I would say don't. Please go and actually read the bill itself, which is what I did. I was engaged in discussions about it before I did. And then I just turned everything off, all the notifications, um, turned down the volume on everybody that was busy arguing about, about it, shouting at me from either side of the of the divide and I actually read it and whether you're from the left or the right or whether you don't care about any of these things you should because it could have huge implications for your children for um, however the political situation may end up in your country in 10 years time and this is the danger is that the road to um, hell is, pi is paved with good intentions. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think that the, some of the politicians involved in the passing of this bill are involved in some pyramidal scheme, you know, that's some, some sort of huge um, conspiracy theory, even though I hate that phrase. They're not necessarily involved in some huge, big, top-down um, system of authoritarianism. But, and but, go and read the bill because it could be interpreted, some parts of it, like that. And it also could, um, like I said, in 10 years time, who knows who rules what country? You may remember I did a podcast called um, Democracy is Not the Default Setting of Society. And I steadfastly stick to that. And many, many democracies, including perhaps the country you're listening to this from, many, many democracies were not democracies. Some of them only since the 70s, you know, like Spain and Greece and Portugal and stuff like that. They dealt with crypto fascist dictatorships. Um, so many democracies in Europe fell in the 20s and 30s. It's we, we have we've had a 30 year period, a sort of post um, Berlin Wall, post-communism, fall of communism, period of upward mobility and growth that I think has deluded, slightly deluded um, people and maybe deluded some of the politicians, I think, who've um, voted for and discussed this bill because um, the world, we, the one thing we know about the world is that it is in a state of constant flux and that in 10 years' time, the good intentions that could be behind this bill, as in protecting the rights of minorities, I mean... Yeah, of course, who wouldn't want to do that? Um, but the, there are other elements of the bill because it's so vague and that could be open to um, exploitation. And also the simple fact that um, questioning the state and its motives could theoretically be um, categorized as a form of hate speech. So I would have to say, think back to all of the authoritarian regimes we've known in society from left to right um, and think to yourself, the chances are they probably defined um, a form of hate speech within their societies as well. They probably defined people who um, dissented against um, authoritarian voices or dissented against the state as also hate speech. I mean, why would they not? Why would they not protect their power and their control? That is not to suggest that members, as I said, of the Irish state who are passing this um, are in on some Machiavellian authoritarian plot. I'm trying to hold the middle ground here and ascribe to them the principle that, you know, um, 
That is what we call Hanlon's razor, right? Which is never attribute to malice what you can attribute to stupidity. And that someone may come along in five or 10 or 15 years and use this legislation for something that it was not intended to at the time. But I would say go and read the bill before you, um, maybe even before you listen to the podcast, go and read the bill. And certainly if you're listening on YouTube, for example, go and read the bill before you're urged to comment whether to agree or disagree with me. Because I think people on all sides of the divide should really be uh, concerned with the content. Now, I'm a musician, so I'm going to discuss maybe things, first of all, from a slightly different angle. And that is about music, about art, about um, the history of Ireland is built on the protest song. I mean, that's fundamentally what a lot of the Irish traditional music was. Protest songs against um, the occupying force within the country. Um, a friend of mine is working at the moment in, a, in the crew with the Wolf Tones, an Irish traditional band, who are steeped in these kind of dissent protest songs. Whether you agree or whether you disagree, they are fundamentally a part of Irish traditional music, the discourse that is involved within that music. The spirit of um, a lot of traditional music. But first I must say something which is, um, which is within this bill. Now, the principle of Irish law has always been that you are innocent until proven guilty. But this particular bill kind of states the opposite. But this bill clearly um, places the power within the um, accuser and not the accused. It clearly states that... Um, it is basically up to you to prove that there was no intent. So if I read this, section three, in any proceedings for an offence under this section, it shall be a defence to prove that the material concerned or, insofar as appropriate, the behaviour concerned consisted solely of a, a reasonable and genuine contribution to literary, artistic, political, scientific, religious or academic discourse. B, a statement that it is the subject of the defence of absolute privilege. Um, just to stop there for a moment, a reasonable and genuine contribution to literary, artistic, political, scientific, religious or academic discourse. So basically, if the state or someone has accused you of um, something they deem hateful, hateful, it is up to you to prove that it has literary, artistic, political, scientific, religious or academic worth. So the onus of proof, basically, of your intent is, um, is up to you which is absolutely insane if you think about it, that you have to prove that something has artistic worth. Now, I don't know about you, but you probably know that um, Ireland had a long history with the Catholic Church. And I've been reading quite a few things this morning. I'm not, I'm one, not least, of course, the, um, the actual Oireachtas, which is our um, debating parliament. I've been reading the notes on the debate and Deputy Paul Murphy, who is from the People, People Before Profit, who are sort of a far left um, new political party, he says the burden of proof is placed on the hateful individual to prove that they did not intend to publish it rather than it being placed on the state to prove that the individual intended to publish it. And we have simply intervened. Now, this is quite um, important. Because what they're arguing is that the, the creation of memes, the creation of content on somebody's computer is enough, even if they do not distribute it. So what if that is um, 
Now, I know what they're thinking about. We can't always attribute total malice to the people trying to push this bill through. And the truth is that Ireland's um, online harms bill, or whatever you want to call it, it's from 1989, was very, outdid, was very outdated. And it did need some kind of updating. I would grant them the state that. But to place the burden of proof upon the accused, I think, is uh, absolutely incredible. The Irish state has has had a long history of censorship. I mean, some of you probably maybe don't know, but like uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian was banned here. Um, In fact, this morning I've been reading a big article about all the books that were banned here. Banned in Ireland, Mary Lavelle and the Land of Spices by Kate O'Brien, The Dark by John McGahern, The Ginger Man by J.P. Dunleavy, Borstal Boy by our own Brendan Bean, The Tailor and the Anstey by Eric Cross, and it goes on and on and on. Now, of course, I don't think the people who are who have written this bill are anticipating the banning of books. But if you do read, um, if you read the wording, it surely has a reference to artistic merit. I mean, who is defining artistic merit? That's that's the what an awful lot of these things boil down to is that so much of this is vaguely subjective and it's so um open to interpretation because at the end of the day I think what we're doing is it's the it's the ramping up of language what used to be you could have written this 10 or 15 years ago and it could have referred to offence but offence causing offence has become hate speech you know I think in a civilised um, democratic society the ability to cause offence is um, one of the most important virtues of free speech and I'm not talking about willfully offend or say horrible things to people what I'm talking about is satire the ability to lampoon the state the ability to um, satirise to cartoon to hold power to account and when you think about things on on that level what we're saying here is here is a bill proposed by the powerful at least this is how it seems to me not necessarily to protect people although all some of its intentions are clearly to protect vulnerable minority people and that's entirely fair enough but it also is a system of control because there is no doubt about it that um, the fear that it will spread um, through people who um are thinking, oh, is this an offensive meme? Should I, um, are we able to discuss this? Are we able to talk about this? Am I able to discuss this with my own friends, um, you know, on a, on a WhatsApp messages or that kind of thing? It creates, um, it stifles conversation. It stifles debate because people then are afraid of being called xenophobic or hateful or whatever you want to call it. So it ends up doing entirely the opposite of what is the intended intention. Now, let's just talk about music for a little bit, because I think that's a sort of interesting angle to come at this from. I mean, it does state um, in part six of the prohibition of incitement to violence or hatred that material means anything that is capable of being looked at, read, watched or listened to either directly or after conversion from data stored in another form. Um, I mean, what could this mean? Does this could this mean music? Could this mean underground metal could this mean underground punk rock could this mean your um punk rock dissent songs against the state could it mean metal that is deemed offensive or um you know somebody somewhere picks up a cannibal corpse cd as we've seen has happened many many times cannibal corpse went through this for years in germany where some of those old albums were banned um in fact possessing some of them as far as i know could get you into some serious trouble is that really where we could be heading or is that really where people want society to go because the entire um, emphasis here is 
Now, do I think the director of public prosecutions is going to be bothered with um, underground music or a punk show that is dissenting against the state? I don't think so. And I do say that specifically because I think that um, all sides of the fence, whether you're um, a black metal band on one side or a punk rock band on the other side, or even if you're a combination of the other, you should be really worried about the implications this has for the freedom um, of your artistic um, merit. Personally, I don't think art needs a justification, but this bill clearly states that if somebody deems what you're doing offensive, it's going to be upon you, the onus of proof, that it has some artistic merit. So who, who decides the merit of art? The state? Does that seem incredibly dangerous to anybody? I mean, what you're saying here really is something so subjective, which is that um, one person's decision on what represents offense or hate um, I don't know, is another person's freedom song, is another person's dissent song, is an, another person's cartoon that satirizes a religion. Um, perhaps it is um, an angry poem that states the meaning of womanhood. I do not know. I don't know, really. Because I think what this is, and as we see it enveloping an awful lot of states across the Western world, um, including, you know, I've just seen one in Brazil as well, but I think what it is, on some level, it is um, the old media, the old guard, the 1%, the political class, whatever you want to call it, the, techn- the unelected technocratic institutions of this world taking back power from what they perceive to be the once wild west of the Internet. Um, they're thinking to themselves, enough is enough. Um, after Trump, after Brexit, after whatever else, we've had enough. We are going to pull in the reins now. And the freedom that you did enjoy to have discourse, digital discourse, is now gone. And then I think, of course, what happened during lockdown and the pandemic is we saw many, many governments across the world expedite emergency laws with no sunset clauses. Um, Politics, um, essentially, or social life, or whatever you want to call it, culture, was on pause. And they just decided to kind of do as they pleased and bring in new laws, um, clamping down on dissent and protest. Now, that doesn't matter Um, from what side of the fence you are. If you are cheering on something like this kind of bill because you think it represents your ideals or um, your values, well, you know, let's be clear about this. Eventually, it comes for the things that um, you do represent or embody or the things you do feel embody or represent you. It doesn't just stop at um, one side of the political divide. So I'm not trying to gaslight you. I'm not coming at at this from one side or the other. I would admi- I would advise, like I said, go and read um, the bills that are being proposed in your country. Um, take a little time out from the noise and the sh- people shouting on either side and just properly evaluate what some of this actually means. I mean, in theoretically, once I've read this, I go, wow, this could apply to the music that um, I listen to, the music that I make. It could apply to even the podcast. It could apply to literally anything. And it's done in such a vague way that you have to really question and wonder about the motives of it. Now, there's a part of me that thinks there is a part of me that sees this in a broader in a broader global context and considers something like this, um, which is that if some people believe that a you know a chinese style social currency system now don't roll your eyes hear me out a social currency system is baked into our future let's say in the next 5 or 10 years 10 years 15 years a sort of um, and you link that to central bank digital currencies if we're going to replace the fiat system of currency we're going to replace money hang in there just hang in there i'm just saying if look the podcast is called agitators anonymous it's not called, Asher, it'll be grand, have a cup of tea. 
um, or whatever <laughs> the podcasts like that are called. But let's. Co- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Consider, we're, we're entering, um, if you've been listening to the podcast about AI and automation, all that kind of stuff, you'll know that we're on the precipice of a very tumultuous um, decade, I think, uh, with a lot of social turmoil and upheaval, as a lot of old jobs are gone, um, ways of communication are changing. Um, there could potentially be, and I've read this in many, many articles online, and, and from neither side of the political divide, really, that said, you know, millions and millions of people could be unemployed, right? Millions and millions of people unemployed. How do people make money? Are we are we witnessing the end of the dollar as the reserve currency? Are we going to see the collapse of um, money, this, you know, the financial system as we knew it and the embrace of a digital currency? Now, if we're looking at a digital currency, CBDC, central bank digital currency, which is progr- programmable, i.e. it has parameters um, which are um, programmed into it. So you can spend your money here, there, etc., elsewhere. Now you couple that, like couple that to the idea of a social currency system, Chinese style. Um, where let's think of it a bit like you know an Uber system where you rate your driver you rate your interactions with other people which already exists in China so now couple that to um, the value of your money being worth a certain thing in relation to your social currency system now think to yourself could that social currency system be linked to your levels of dissent from the state narrative to your levels of 
mis and disinformation because that's for sure also what's happening is the powers that be trying to control the narratives of mis and disinformation um complicated stuff um which i think traditionally would have just been called alternative opinions about things but we saw what happened um during lockdown and we saw the opinions that were then kind of released uh, back out into the wild but i think if you are somebody who is not necessarily conspiratorially minded, but if somebody, but it probably would help, but if you're somebody who errs on the darker view of life of the world, and I know that's difficult when you look outside because the sun is shining and in a couple of hours I'll go and play a football match um, with a few friends um, at the foot of the mountains and, you know, forget all of this and who knows, maybe even score a goal and then have a beer afterwards. And, you know, the, look, I get it that to take on board some of these darker, darker principles can be difficult when you don't exactly see that. But at the same time, you do have to look at the wording of a bill like this and think to yourself, this pr represents a very, very um, definite threat to our civil liberties, our rights, our democratic rights to free speech. But let's just consider, as I said, for a moment, the idea that there is some form of, let's say, Pepsi light to the full strength caffeinated um, Pepsi you get in um, China or a one party state. And your levels of the things we're discussing that are in, in, enshrined within this bill, um, which could be dissent from the state narrative, um, they could be dissent from the state points of view on all sorts of things, um, not just offense between one another. I think that the bill um, rightly um, identifies the need to update. Um, and, you know, enshrine the rights of minorities within the digital sphere. There's no, I have no issue with that at all. So this is not some sort of um, gaslighting from one side or the other. But at the same time, if, let's say, in seven or eight years, you would, you want to, and I mean everyone from the political divide, rightfully protest against something that's happening within the state, and you are GPS linked to the protest, which then comes with a fine, a digital fine. Um, you just look at your phone and it goes, you've been identified as being at this. Um, you've been identified as taking part in a protest that was deemed hate speech. You're therefore going to be fined X amount and your social currency will go down. Now, do I sound insane by saying that could happen? I don't think so. Now, do I think that the people who are making this bill are considering that? No, I would say they probably aren't. But there's got to be some moment, there has to be some uh, moment of inner reflection where you consider, is this really the right thing for society? More censorship. Because, like I said, the title of the podcast, um, 1984 is not an instruction manual. It's a warning. It's a warning from history. It's a warning about what, how quickly um, you can fall into um, the stasis of authoritarianism because you think that you're doing the right thing. So what does that mean? It means like, you know, hate speech against the state. Um, I mean, all authoritarian movements would love this principle. Um, you know, you would define opposition as hate and therefore towards the society that they have helped to create. I'll give you a good example. Um, a couple of years ago, Erdogan in Turkey tried to um, he tried to extradite a poet from Germany who had written something like a rude limerick or a rude poem about him. And he almost succeeded in getting a poet sent to um, face trial in Turkey. Now, we look at Turkey 
um, beautiful and great country that it is. I visited it. It's awesome. Um, I would t- entirely recommend it. But, I mean, fundamentally, this is a form of um, a one-man state. I mean, are we saying that, uh, you know, a, a deeply satirical program um, could be banned? You know, once upon a time um, in the 1980s, once upon a time in the 1980s, we had a great show called Scrap Saturday, which um, brutally satirized politicians every Saturday. You'd listen to it and they would they would um, it, it featured the late and great Dermot Morgan, who was Father Ted. Um, if I just go off on a side tangent and they're available online to listen to it, and they're they're brilliant, but they're brutally satirical. I mean, what if we get a leader in five or six years who decides, I don't really, I'm not really into this being lampooned or being satirized. I think that we'll define that as hate speech. Could it be? It's possible, right? But people are so polarized that I imagine an awful lot of people will, um, you know, be angry about it or support it without actually reading it. I'll give you a good example of something slightly relevant. I had an argument with a friend of mine a week or two ago. He said, oh, Elon and his fascist rocket. I said, what do you mean fascist rocket? And basically he implied that Elon Musk was some kind of fascist or fascist adjacent because he let certain people back on Twitter. And I I said to him, well, back on Twitter implies they were there before. He goes, yeah. I said, so the people before were also then, I guess, fascist adjacent. Would that make sense? And he looked at me like, huh? I said, well, they were there before, right? So I don't know. I guess it. Just, <laughs> then they're all. Then Jack Dorsey was the same thing. No. And also, if you're going to call Elon's, um, you know, rocket fascist, I think you should probably look at some of the. Well, this is going to be, I don't think this is controversial to say, but I think it's, I think most people realize that um, Operation Paperclip, um, you should do a little bit of digging into that. And my friend got a bit, you know, a bit butthurt. And I said, hey, you wear, you wear NASA shirts and all that kind of stuff. But you do, do realize like the NASA space program, some of the original people um, who formed that were actual Nazis because there was a huge rush between the Russians and the Americans to try and steal the best Nazi scientists and all that kind of stuff when um, after the Second World War. And in I'm just looking at it now. Um, after more than two decades of service and leadership in NASA, four Nazi members from Operation Paperclip were awarded the NASA Distinguished Service Medal in 1969. Okay, there you go. I mean, and he was, you know, pretty annoyed because he wears NASA shirts. And I said to him, Ah, history is a bit more complicated than you think, but maybe you should reconsider your view that Elon Musk is a fascist because we use those words so um, dramatically all the time and they don't think they have the, quite the meaning they should anymore. It's come to just mean eh, someone who just disagrees with me. But Elon has been um, Elon has been online discussing this exact bill, this this hate speech legislation bill, and he has been calling for more open speech, more open platforms of speech for people from both sides of what they consider to be their divides to talk to each other. And yet, my friend's instinct was to, you know, instantly push back against it. And then I just said, well, just stop and think about this just for a moment, maybe. So I'll give you a few more little excerpts from the um, the debate that happened in the in the doll in the chambers or the Shannon. Um Mr. Paul Murphy says, uh, "Let me just look." Um, 
The onus is then placed on the individual to prove that he or she was not intending to distribute the material or therefore actually to incite hatred. This is a serious enough infringement of civil liberties and the right of people to have wrong, bad ideas and their own private thoughts and to write them down and have them on a computer and for that not to be an offence in and of itself. I mean, yeah. You can find the whole debate, if you're really that interested, in oruchtas.ie, which is O-I-R-E-A-C-H-T-A-S dot I-E and then just put in uh, forward slash E-N slash debates and you'll get eventually to the criminal justice incitement to violence or hatred and hate offences bill and you can read the back and forward between um, the people that are discussing it. So fundamentally though I mean I live in Ireland and we know what um, things are like here and we know generally that the police are not the police here are not armed they're not heavy-handed in fact during lockdown it was clear they didn't want to be out there um, enforcing the rules uh, against the people they're the police here are low-key and they're really low-key and um, the truth is they're pretty fair I think and even-handed and reasonable to deal with for the most part um, I don't think I can't see them arresting um, you know busting in at a punk rock show and arresting the singer of a song them that's you know they Deemed to be offensive against the state or something like that. I'm not. I can't see that. I can't see them imprisoning for six months people for opinions um, like this, for example, on a podcast. But at the same time, when you read the bill, there is far more um, discussion about the criminalizing of what is deemed hate speech than there is about enshrining the freedom of expression um, on the other side. And where society sits right now may not be where society sits in three or five or eight or ten years. It may be very different and somebody else may come along and use these rules um, for, in a will they were not intended. And really the big shift, the big shift is that um, I read into this day the, the idea that we are going to criminalize intent um, in that you are essentially guilty until proven innocent, um, which would seem to be a complete flip, a complete reversal from uh, the main principles of our um, legal system. Now, of course, I stand to be wrong. I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band. You know, I, I hold my hand up and go, yeah, I can be pretty dumb sometimes. But I've read the bill and I've read the discussions and I've read some of the transcripts and tried to steer clear from either side of the polarizing voices. And it really does worry me, just as a lay person, and it should worry you too as well. But you've probably heard various people discuss this. Like, for example, Jordan Peterson, I suppose, is a good example of it. I suppose he's the most popular example. Um, it's not that things just change overnight. It's not that you're going to look out your window tomorrow and go, oh, everything seems different. Although, although that does happen in some countries who are less fortunate than probably the one you're listening to me in. Um, but... It's the slow erosion of freedoms, of civil liberties. It's the slow um, movement by the institutions of um, unelected theocracy. Sorry, not theocracy, although you could say that if it's a form of theocracy. Um, technocracy and their partners in big business and the state slowly moving to criminalize dissent and just, um, you know, seize more power and finances for themselves and within this system your ability to hold power to account however you may deem that possible is very important and I think that's that what also can be seen within this bill 
So just looking at another site, Euronews, um, article about this, it says, however, under this law, a person can defend themselves against charges by proving they did not intend to spread hatred. Their defence can be based on not knowing the content of the materials or lacking a reason to suspect that it was threatening, abusive or insulting. The new law, however, changes this, making one liable for a hate crime even if they did claim they did not intend it. Others were cautious about the bill, it states. Yes, cautious about the bill. So, so I think there's an, there's, there's an awful lot of things going on here. And like I said, I want to try and hold a sort of middle ground on some of it. And I advise you to go and read the bill itself. But what I think... What I think is also happening is a move by the powers that be to control mis- and disinformation, to rein in the internet, to rein in protest or dissenting voices, to take back the power for, you know, partly by old media, partly by technocratic platforms, partly by the political class, whatever you want to call them. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a power move and it's based, it's couched in the um, sort of modern language of empathy and tolerance and equity and all that kind of thing, which is, you know, as principles are fair enough. But what they do, I think, seek to do is to divide and conquer society, to keep people polarised and arguing about things that ultimately um, are fires that are kind of stoked by this kind of uh, bill. Everyone sees everyone else in terms of somebody that they could hand over to the authorities or what offence or what terrible secret do they harbour. Which reminds you of every authoritarian regime. Now again, do I think that the Irish authorities and the Irish politicians debating this have some of those, I suppose, um, dystopian geopolitical um, conspiracy theories in their minds about, like I said, about... um, digital currencies linked to universal basic income, linked to a social currency system that is therefore, um, you know, places immense power in the state to basically withdraw or um, take away your ability to earn. As we are seeing, going to see with AI taking so many jobs, um, the idea that everybody is going to be, you know, this sort of movement of centralised power, this conglomerated power that if you dissent from the system, you can pretty much just be switched off and you've lost your ability to earn. Now, it may be a pretty dark consideration, but imagine all those dots connected, and therefore your um, your hate speech monitor, your dissent, um, is linked to your um, ability to just navigate a incoming society. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying, in my way of viewing the world, it's entirely... You know, it's a, it's a percentage possibility that could happen. And certainly bills like this um, could expedite that future, could enable it to happen in a more authoritarian way. Because if we lose freedom of speech, once it's gone, it's gone. And you may disagree with me, and that's absolutely fine. And you may think I'm an idiot and a fool, and, oh, look, this is just going to be a few local door-to-door things and disputes between one person and that person. And yes, indeed, by the genuinely hateful, bigoted people there are in society. And that's fair enough. I hope you're right. I hope that I look back on this particular podcast in a year or two and go, yeah, maybe I read too much darkness into that one. I entirely hope to be wrong. But there is some stuff within this bill that should really worry you, no matter who you are. Or at least it should concern you. Or at least you should read it and think to yourself, is that really, does this really represent the democratic principles of a um, liberal democratic 
society that's supposed to have um, liberty enshrined at its principle? I'm not sure that's true. Okay, if anybody wants to write to me at the Gulag, just send it to Midlands Ireland. Uh, it'll probably get to me. Like I said, I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band. Don't take me as the gospel truth. Um, I'm probably wide of the mark, but I thought it would be remiss and a little bit cowardly of me uh, considering the podcast is Agitators Anonymous and I've done podcasts on Orwell. Maybe go back and listen to my podcast about 1984. I've done podcasts about freedom of speech, about authoritarianism. I did one called My Favourite 70s Dictators. Um, that it would just be somewhat cowardly of me not to at least try and read the transcripts, read the bill and make some sort of comment on it. Agitators Anonymous, my friends, over and out. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.